In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here at the table. It's my great pleasure to pronounce some good news for us, over us, among us. Church, receive the good news today. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But the love of God is the root of eternal life. Lay hold of this eternal life, church, as a way of living characterized by the age to come. Eternal life is God's life. Eternal life teaches us what people and possessions are really for. Let us live together in eternal life today. Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? I think when we hear this phrase, eternal life, we think of heaven or we think of get saved and live, live forever. Um, but the eternal here isn't an adjective that describes the quantity. It's not forever life, but it's an adjective that describes the quality. It's the kind of life associated with God. This divineness of life. It also lasts a long time, right? So this man is asking, not how do I go to heaven when I die, but he's asking, how do I find the best life? That's what he's asking. And Jesus then doesn't do what a good Protestant should. He doesn't say, well, you know, you can't do anything to earn the best life. It's a gift, right? He doesn't quote Romans 6.23 at him. I'm not sure why not. Maybe it's because, uh, well, because this eternal life is something we have to participate in. It requires something of us other than a private, personal, internal, abstract ascent. I know that many of us come from traditions that equate that kind of ascent with saving faith. I'm sorry if I'm the first person to tell you this, but that's rubbish. So Jesus says, do this. <laughs> Go sell all you have and give to the poor and then follow me then you can be saved. Jesus says in order to have the best life, you have to renounce mammon. You can't serve both God and mammon, he's told us other places. This is our old friend mammon. Remember our old friend mammon? Talked about Mr. Mammon a lot last, about a year and a half ago during Lent, right? Mammon is a different way of life. So if eternal life is, is God's kingdom, God's economy, mammon is the, is the nemesis, Jesus teaches us. Mammon wants to colonize us. And in all four texts today, I'll get to the other three, we see, we see powerful, wealthy men living la vida mammon. But into this, Today we proclaim that the root of all evil is money, but the love of God is the root of eternal life. 
we have to choose today. Which way of life, which political economy we want to live. Eternal life is God's very life. It reorders how we relate to people and possessions, church. Let us live together in eternal life today. Our two readings from 1 Samuel and 1 Timothy warn of religious leaders who use God to benefit themselves, gaining wealth and power and status from their positions of religious authority. 1 Samuel, <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. Wilda Gaffney just says, Now Eli's sons were worthless. <laughs> And when you read about the things they were doing, it is pretty worthless. They were disrespecting the Lord's offering, taking food for themselves, meat before it was burned. This is no bueno if you're an Israelite. They also were misusing their power, helping themselves to the women who served at the meeting tent's entrance. It wouldn't be the first time that someone who has religious power or proximity to religious power used that power to violate and abuse vulnerable people. First Timothy, he's dealing with some teachers who have an obsession with debates and arguments, and they create jealousy and conflict and verbal abuse and evil suspicion, and they are, uh, Timothy, uh, the, the letter to Timothy tells us that, that the, they're after money. God is big business in Ephesus. They're using God to secure wealth, status, or renown, but it plunges them into ruin or destruction. And the psalm ties wrongdoing of bullies to those who trust in their wealth. Remember that? We have this showdown in these three, four texts of mammon versus eternal life. They're different ways of being in the world. What I mean by that is different logic. So the the love of money doesn't mean that I want to sit in the back row of the movie theater and make out with money. Is that a vivid enough picture for you? It doesn't mean I want to smooch it. It doesn't, uh, when I was a kid, uh, uh, I would get off the bus every day and we'd turn on the television and we'd actually have to touch the TV to do that. And then... And then uh, my sisters wanted to watch some, I wanted to watch Star Trek reruns and they wanted to watch cartoons. So they usually won. And uh, there was this cartoon when I was in middle school called DuckTales. Do you remember, anybody remember DuckTales? A woohoo. And there was this, uh, I remember being uh, captivated by the opening credits that had a character known as Scrooge McDuck uh, who was filthy rich, like uh, Bezos rich, like diving and swimming in vats of gold coins. Do you remember this? That's also not what it means to love money. <laughs> but love of money is, is about how the idolatrous power of mammon, wealth, resources, possessions, profit, shapes and orders our life contrary to godliness. This is what First Timothy says. Or contrary to eternal life, perfection, being saved, Matthew. That's the language Matthew is using. The Didache, one of the earliest Christian writings, we're talking like second century, probably, probably the earliest writing after the closing of the canon we have, lays out this idea 
that I'm talking about, we're talking about today, the way of life versus the way of death. And it spends the first four chapters talking about the way of life, and then it talks about the way of death. Listen to how the Didache describes this uh, mammon economy. And the way of death is this, loving vanities, pursuing requital, which means if somebody uh, damages or hurts you, taking them to court and trying to get uh, money extracted from them. The way of death is not pitying a poor man, not laboring for the afflicted, not knowing him who made them, murderers of children, destroyers of the handiwork of God, turning away from him that is in want, afflicting him that is distressed, advocates of the rich, lawless judges of the poor, utter sinners, be delivered children from all these. There's ample evidence that we're not talking about uh, uh, just a heart disposition towards money or God. We're talking about two distinct ways of life. Because the love of money is the root of all evil, but the love of God is the root of eternal life. Church, let us lay hold of eternal life today. It changes uh, the, how we answer questions like, what are people for? What is our stuff for? These are the questions that run our life. Let us live together in this eternal life today. So let's look at these two questions. What are people for? What are possessions for? Mammon wants to say people are to be used for profit and gain and advancement and power. The goal under mammon is to achieve as much as you can for yourself using others to get there. A friend of mine was a youth pastor uh, at a church in Texas, and um, we were talking about, he only spent about 18 months there and he was telling me, like, they, they went through youth pastors like crazy. And I was like, why? He's like, well, you know, the senior pastor uh, was pretty hard on us. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the first day I was hired, the senior pastor sat me down, and he said, quote, you're just a tool in my tool belt. If you can't get the job done, I'll find somebody else who can. Friends, that coheres under the tyranny of mammon. That is mammon logic about what people are for. People exist to be used, their utility extracted until one, they fail, or two, you find somebody better. Eli's sons used the women who guarded the tent. What are these women for? For my pleasure. their, Their bodies exist for me. The rich young ruler, he got rich off the backs of poor people. That, that, that's it. That's how, that's how people got rich back then, maybe even today, is that they, he had money and others didn't. The teachers in First Timothy were being jerk butts, doing the same thing. Mammon uses people extracts from them. But eternal life, eternal life knows that that's not what people are for. That's not what people are for. Eternal life, people are to be served, loved. Not just taken from, but received from. So different. 
so different. Not to just receive from them, but to embrace them. This is the picture that Timothy paints at the end of his text, The Life of Godliness. This is what Jesus is alluding to when he says, hey, those of you who've left all the stuff of your old life, you're going to receive a hundred times of it. Why? Because in God's political economy, in the eternal life economy, all things are yours. Actually, it's probably better to say all things are ours. All things are ours. It's not just Scrooge McDuck that gets to swim, but we all get to swim. And then what are possessions for? Well, the gospel about the rich young ruler, look, I, I, want, I so badly want to teach on this for like 40 minutes. Um, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Ben will never take a sabbatical again if I do that. The rich young ruler, I think, when he asks, what do I still lack? Jesus has just read him all these commandments, right? And Jesus doesn't argue with him that he's kept them. This, he's a good dude. I think he's a good dude, meaning serious about his faith, actually has kept those commandments to the best of his ability, but he knows there's an empty, gnawing lack he lacks something and he knows it. Now, this would have been shocking to the disciples who, uh, by every account, even afterwards, where they're like, but then who can be saved, man? What is going on here? What are we even doing? They look at a rich young ruler who's holy and they think, this guy's crushing it. There are lots of texts in Hebrew scriptures about God blessing you with wealth if you are holy. So the disciples look at this guy and they think, he should be one of the 12, not me. They can't believe that he goes away sad. They can't believe that Jesus tells him to give up the thing that they equate with his holiness. But Jesus does say, go sow what you have and give to the poor. You see, it's because the salvation, eternal life here was personal and social. Follow me. This is the political economy part. I mean, Personal, this man would be saved from a dehumanizing system of oppression that he participates in and benefits from. He's saved from the bondage to mammon and idolatry of wealth. And socially, this man would radically alter and change the lives of the poor he gave money to. Like, radically. He would go from zero to hero in their eyes. He would create a new family because of his benevolence to these poor people, he would create a new fictive kinship family around him now of people that he has helped, not the powerful, the prestigious, but the poor and the disenfranchised. He would go from oppressor to friend, and this for a moment would disrupt the system. The system hates it when these kinds of things happen. Remember the run on the game stock, stop stock a few years back? The system hated that. Hated it. So what are possessions for? It's to create a family, a family of abundance, where we have more than enough. More than enough. Jesus is teaching to his disciples here, if you've left possessions or receive a hundred times more, 
is that when you relinquish, when you renounce mammon, you no longer have to grip and extract and control and dominate. But now you get to receive and give in relationship with. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of God is the root of eternal life. Church, let's lay hold of this eternal life today. It changes what people are for here. It changes how we talk and how we relate to each other. More than ever, we need a clear vision in the church that we have a different political economy that organizes and orients our bodies with each other. I'm, every day I'm reading a story about how we get this wrong. We Christians get this wrong. We actually have something powerful to op- offer the world. Powerful. People who are plugged in necessarily to large machines that seek to increase shareholder value for multi-billion dollar corporations, that is dehumanizing. Just by going to work, it's dehumanizing. And we have a task as a church to proclaim eternal life. And sometimes that means, hey, renounce X and follow Jesus. But sometimes it just is looking at somebody and just saying, I'm so glad you're here. I've shared this story before, and now I'm really going over. Um, don't tell... Don't tell, the, don't tell the other rectors. <laughs> I've told this story before where we've had like, our music is awesome and beautiful, but there have been some moments where like worship leaders have forgotten lyrics or started in the wrong key or had to start over or forgot a melody because it was just written two hours before then. <laughs> Has this not happened here? I think that's happened in other churches. <laughs> no, but, I, um, but what happens is collectively there is a lot of grace and permission from all y'all. And there's also, even though none of us want to like mess up, right, publicly, there's a sense in which I can tell that there's freedom and permission to not take ourselves too seriously, to have to be flawless. And I remember, I remember like 15 years ago, there was a guy, there was a guy that was um, a worship leader at a huge church in Chicago, had a couple albums, came to our church, I didn't know who he was, and the worship leader did this. He like restarted a couple times, right? And this guy came up to me in tears. And he said, I want you to know that if I had done what Jeff did, I would have been fired. Or that was like, that, like best case scenario is I would have been read the riot act in between services. And this is just one artifact of 10,000, Right? that we, we are not extracting value from each other. We're just image bearers who appreciate how each of you reveals God to me and to other people. And this economy of possessions, not building bigger barns and shoving uh, more petroleum-based products into it, um, <laughs> Uh, um, I, I get that we live in a racialized capitalistic economy where individualism runs the day, right? I've got a checkbook. My wife and I do, you know, Laura, you've got your account. We're living in some givens in our world that make it difficult 
to live into, I think, a kingdom life, you know? We, and, and I think that tension is going to exist. There's no euphoric commune cult thing that I'm about ready to say, so just, you know, everybody just breathe. Um, but I, I do think there, there's a member of our church right now who just had brain surgery, and um, she's new to our church, and she messaged me this week. I was gone on vacation last week. I was really concerned, like, that she would experience care from us. And she messaged me, and she said, I've been blown away by the way that the table has taken care of me, you know, cooking meals and sitting with her. Two people are going to fight today over taking her Eucharist after the service, <laughs> right? And I think that there are beautiful moments where we are defying the tyranny of mammon through, sh <laughs> through sharing what we have with each other and rehumanizing each other in love. This is the work of the church. Church, let us lay hold of eternal life in this way today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.